0: Do you enjoy confrontation? I do. As long as I'm only reading about it in the Bible. I don't like it in my life even though I'm quite skilled at it. I mean in the service you got to be confrontational sometimes if you want to get the mission accomplished. But now that I'm a nice churchly person, confrontation doesn't sit well with me and I'm guessing it doesn't sit well with you either even though confrontation happens in the church sometimes, we don't come away from the teachings of Jesus and the overall mood of the church with the impression that we're an assembly of confrontational people. I think mostly we just don't like the way confrontation feels. It it hurts inside. And then there's the increased heart rate and the anxiety and let alone the fear of broken relationships that so often accompany unresolved confrontation. William Palmer, who used to write for the Chicago Tribune, tells about when he moved into a new house, he and his neighbor got along fine for a while. They waved hello to each other often and there was no fence between their yards, they, and they didn't think they ever needed one until Palmer's kids started tracking dog dew into the house. The thing is, they didn't own a dog. Palmer believed it had to be the neighbors' two poodles, so he confronted the neighbor who immediately became indignant at the idea that his dogs could be the culprit. The confrontation then spiraled into a, into a literal messy war of dog droppings tossed from yard to yard, angry words exchanged, a fence finally went up and signs were posted, and the confrontation reached a new low when. Palmer's neighbor, the guy with the dogs, cut down a disputed elm tree that stood right on the property line. Now, the tree needed to be cut down. Elms rot, you know, and they eventually become a hazard. But Palmer didn't like the idea that he should pay for half of the removal. And up to that point, he ignored his neighbor's written request to do so. So the neighbor cut the tree in half vertically so that his half was gone but Palmer's half still stood. Palmer, not being one to give in to such pettiness, let the tree stand that way for five more years till it finally came crashing down on his house. What a price to pay for confrontation. Now, confrontation usually doesn't lead to that kind of craziness. But the fear of that kind of hostility and result is what We try to avoid, right? Isn't it just a little bit curious then that the head of the church, the God we worship and follow, the man we look to to conform our lives to be more like his, is confrontational? In fact, Jesus is quite confrontational. Not only him, but those who came before him, the prophets. They were confrontational too. This week's readings are confrontational. (laughs) You got Jeremiah confronting the leaders of the land with, turn back to the Lord or you'll die. Those officials didn't want to hear that and they set out to kill Jeremiah. This is a recurring theme in the Bible if you haven't picked that up already. Paul confronts the church in Philippi with the stark news that there are those among them who are enemies of Christ, gluttons and fornicators on a path to self-destruction who have no conscience to the law. Pretty confrontational. And then there's Jesus being quite confrontational with some people. It comes in the verses earlier in chapter 13. They're not in the reading here, but if you look at the beginning of chapter 13... Jesus says to these people, repent or you'll die. Just like Jeremiah. He told them to strive to enter through the narrow door. In other words, believe in Him, which is very hard for some people, right? Or they would be shut out from eternal life. Now, how do these people react to this confrontation? They sent some Pharisees come to Jesus, and they say to him, get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. But don't be misled here. The Pharisees weren't concerned for Jesus' safety out of kindness or anything like that. Now, they were always trying to look for a way to to discredit him or trap him because he was all the time confronting their self-righteousness. Now, this is early on. They weren't trying to kill him yet. They were just trying to intimidate him and scare him away. Hope that he just would never come back and just disappear. But in the same way that Jesus refused to be tempted in the wilderness, Jesus refuses to just go away. He's got other confrontations in store. One of them with Herod. Now there were many Herods, right? They were a family of kings uh, in Judea. Herod the Great and his sons who assumed the throne after him these were these were kings of the jews that the roman empire set up these were not jewish spiritual leaders in the scholars don't even think these herod guys even worshipped in the temple they were just like secular leaders but they were all tyrants nevertheless the herod at this time he had some power And he didn't like being confronted with the message of repentance by John the baptizer. Jesus knew he was dealing with a tyrant when he said, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and cure people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my course. See, Jesus would not allow himself to be threatened by Herod. He'd come to do what his father had sent him to do on earth, bring the kingdom of God into it, proclaim the good news of forgiveness, and die by crucifixion and rise again. So, why be confrontational? Why would Jesus act this way? You know, we picture him as this passive, sacrificial lamb quietly letting everything happen to him without any resistance. We can't forget among the many things Jesus is, a savior, redeemer, the son of God, the son of man. He's also a prophet. And it's a prophet's job to be confrontational. A prophet is sent by God to speak the truth faithfully. And that's hard to hear. It's hard for people to hear that truth. In, in Jesus' day, the people were comfortable in their sin. They didn't want to be called to repent. So the prophetic word has to be confrontational. It has to, it has to wake you up. It has to alarm you. Turn and repent or you will die. Not turn and repent and you can go about your way and nothing will happen. John the baptizer confronted people with their sin first and offered them forgiveness and cleansing and rebirth in the river. And many listened and followed through and got baptized. Many did not. Many remained comfortable in their sin. It seems I have comfortable fornicators in my family. Jill's been looking at my family history through genealogy, and that came up. In some documents from what? The 19th century? Earlier. Yeah. I've got Quaker relatives who were comfortable fornicators. <laughs> what does that mean? It means they lived together, they weren't married, couples were living together, they weren't married, and they had no problem with that. They were comfortable in, their, in it. Didn't care, right? Th- here's the thing. I mean, you know, I would imagine in anyone's family you had this going on through, throughout the ages, Right? And it still happens today. You know, who cares what God says about marriage and purity and following his son's example of the marriage between the bridegroom and his bride and all that? You know, that stuff's it's not convenient or practical in real life. But does the church today sp- uh, still speak a prophetic word about human acts and behaviors? Do I, get, do I ever get up here and say publicly, The church requires that you not have sexual relations with anyone who isn't your spouse and of the opposite sex? Do I do that? Does any pastor or church worker publicly announce that the church requires you not drink or drug yourself to death? That the church requires you not gamble all your money and possessions away on yourself when there's people out there to clothe and feed? that the church requires you don't yell and scream at each other and hit each other and abuse each other? No, I don't. (laughs) We, too, have become comfortable with our sin. It's piped into our living rooms and bedrooms and cell phones and tablets, and we call it entertainment or drama. Who wants to be confronted with the message to stop it Perhaps the church has grown fearful of speaking all the truth. We bought the lies from the father of all lies that it's more loving to turn the other way than to, to, than to confront people, and that Jesus is a guy who just says everything's okay. I think that's the case, which is why I'm having us revisit today this theology of confrontation, which confronts us in Scripture. I mean, it's here. The prophets are confrontational. Jesus is confrontational with people, with us. He wants us to wake up and smell the truth instead of the coffee. We need the sure, prophetic, and confrontational word. We have to say, thus says the Lord. Not we say or I say, but God says and deal with it. Even if it makes us uncomfortable and we don't like the way it makes us feel. It doesn't matter what the law of the land will allow or society permits or others are doing. God says, amend your ways and obey the Lord. I need to hear this perhaps more than anyone. I fall into traps in this job you can't even conceive. Amend your ways and obey the Lord. Man, that is confrontational. This is the message we're all sent to proclaim publicly in our jobs as parents, friends, neighbors, co-workers, teachers, students, what have you, and preachers. We ought to expect opposition even within our own hearts. But it's not the Christ-like thing to do to acquiesce and blend in with the multitude of unbelievers that, so much that we become comfortable in sin. If we did that, we would empty his cross of its power to save. And what I mean by that is there'd be no more confrontation. People wouldn't be confronted with the message that, hey, there's sin and death and a way out through Jesus' blood and merit. Look, faithful prophets love their people. Jeremiah was hated, but he loved his people. He wept over them. You heard it from his scroll. In the gospel reading, we heard Jesus lamenting, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to it. How often have I gathered you into my arms and you just wouldn't have it. He loved the people and longed to save them. But they weren't willing to hear the word and repent. Instead, they rejected and crucified him. Can you hear Jesus lamenting over the world today? Do you hear his great mercy and love for you? He was willing to suffer and die by the horrendous, brutal method of crucifixion for you and me. To transfer all your sin onto himself and bury it with him in the grave so that it wouldn't be held against you on the day of the resurrection. Can you hear him calling? He's calling your name. He knows you by name and your baptism. He has a place for you, prepared for you in heaven. Yeah, Jesus is the prophet whose job it is to confront sinners. All people with the saving word that all might hear and believe and be saved. But he's more than a prophet. He is our crucified and risen Savior who promises you forgiveness, life, and salvation. Hear him calling today, O Jerusalem, O Portland, O Sherwood. How often have I longed for you. Amen.